Hello and welcome to the DWD podcast, a weekly look at progress of voluntary assisted dying in Victoria. Debate on the voluntary assisted dying bill begins in the upper house of the Victorian parliament this week, with media reports suggesting that the vote will be much tighter than the lower house. Last week also saw a welcome announcement from the Australian Medical Students Association when they declared their support for the Victorian Assisted Dying Bill. A total of 19 out of 21 AMSA representatives from every Australian medical school voted in favour of the policy. With AMSA president saying uh, Australian Medical Students Association members had diverse opinions on voluntary assisted dying, centering around the sanctity of life, patient autonomy, and eliminating suffering, uh, but that they found there was overwhelming support for implementing voluntary assisted dying in a restrictive way with appropriate safeguards to protect vulnerable patients. The Australian Medical Students Association position announcement comes less than a week after the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners also announced their support for voluntary assisted dying law reform. So it's particularly uh, pleasing to see such important medical bodies coming out in support. And now to our main segment. Fiona Patton has been particularly busy of late with a number of key policy issues currently before Parliament and a brand change that has transformed the Australian Sex Party into the Reason Party. The Northcote by-election is coming up later in November and the Reason Party has a candidate in the running, so Fiona has been working hard to try and get a lower house candidate elected for her party. Coincidentally, we caught up with Fiona outside a cafe in Northcote uh, to find out what we can expect from debate on the voluntary assisted dying bill in the upper house. So after all the work you did in the Committee for Inquiry on End of Life Choices, how does it feel to now have a bill for you to debate, to debate in the Upper House? Uh, Tyrell, it, it, it really, uh, it's quite, it's very exciting and, and also quite daunting. You know, I started this process with, you know, one of the first thing that, things I did in Parliament was to put a motion on the, ta- on the paper saying that there should be an inquiry into end of life choices and that a parliamentary committee should conduct that inquiry. And that was in, that was probably the first thing I did in Parliament oh, wow. officially. And so now to see the result of that initial action to become an actual bill, I'm not sure I really thought it would be a bill. A bit of an uphill battle? but luckily it's sort of come along. Yeah, it, and I think it's been a really, it's been a really excellent process. And it's, and, and in traveling around the world and in, and during the inquiry, this is the only jurisdiction that I have been aware of that has gone through such a consultative and detailed uh, process to develop this piece of legislation. It's about to two and a bit years now, from inquiry to through ministerial advisory panel to, to now, which is really great. So what are some of the, the biggest experiences from the inquiry that stood out to you? It was, we were incredibly privileged to travel around uh, the state and, and meet people in different jurisdictions, in country areas, in rural areas, in, in Melbourne, the CBD itself and hear people's experiences of end of life. Um, Some were good. Some, as we all know, were traumatic, not just for the person dying, but obviously for for the family. And to be be privileged for people to tell those personal stories to you. And that 
that was a very difficult thing for people to relive in many circumstances. So we were very privileged um, to hear that. And then we were lucky enough to go overseas and, and see how different models of assisted dying worked in other jurisdictions. You, you've been a supporter of assisted dying for yes. however long, a very, very long time. What was it like working with other MPs who were kind of either on the fence or completely opposed, but regardless from just different perspectives of politics? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I mean, it was the first committee that I'd actually done as an MP. And, you know, there was eight of us and we all had different opinions about end of life care and about voluntary assisted dying. Uh, I was probably of the more libertarian and laissez-faire position on it. Uh, and then there was various shades of support or opposition to it. You know, initially we worked pretty well, but you could see that those that were entirely opposed to the notion of assisted dying decided not to engage in the inquiry and the debate. And I think that was that was disappointing um, and, and, and at times incredibly disrespectful of the people that were providing us with their own personal stories and their own personal experiences. So, yeah, frustrating at times, but rewarding most of the time. I was just going to say on the frustrating thing, that's probably the biggest sentiment that we get from our members and supporters that they're frustrated that politicians won't engage with the issue. Yeah. So that that kind of happened in the committee is a little Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and there was one member of the committee and there was just this one instance and we were, I think we were in Moi, uh, up near the Gippsland and there was a doctor there giving witness and, and talking about his experiences as a palliative care doctor in that area and how he wished he possibly had some more tools in his toolbox to relieve the suffering of his patients. And this Member of Parliament said, right, so you just want to pop people off, do you? You just want to pop them off and kept going on this thing. I knew that there was two people in the audience there who had lost their daughter four weeks ago to brain cancer and that she, in that last week of brain cancer, had been um, crying to her parents saying, please help me. She was dying. They could not relieve the pain. They certainly could not relieve the suffering that she was feeling, knowing that she was dying and knowing that it was only going to get worse. And these parents were in the audience. And I knew that and I had read their submission and I was just... I, I was so upset on that day um, and, you know, that was more than frustration. I just actually wanted to punch her in the face. That's fair enough. <laughs> uh, things are seemingly civil, uh, particularly in the lower house. What, what were your thoughts on the debate from the other week? I thought the debate was really good in the lower house. I was amazed. I think that is one of the best debates I have ever seen in Parliament, ever. Uh, about a week before the debate, I interviewed Leslie Vick, our president, oh, yeah. and she made the, what would you call it, an observation or maybe a, a prediction that conscience votes usually bring out the best in, in people and that it would be quite a quite a good debate. And I think she gets the tick for that. She, she predicted it. She got it right. It was she, a very, very good debate. Yeah, Leslie definitely got it right. It was a very good debate. And it's interesting when people have to make a decision for themselves. I mean, I'm in a fortunate position that I every every vote I make in Parliament is effectively a conscience vote or it's a, I have to make the decision for myself. But yes, it did, 
it forced them uh, to really think about how, why they're voting and, 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 and articulate that. And I think that's often they don't need to articulate why they're voting because their party tells them to vote that way. I don't know how this rates on your sort of um, issues that you've had to do consultation on and that kind of thing. I mean, obviously you did all the committee stuff, but I'd say they're getting, and the reports that we've had from some MPs is that they've never received as much consultation, as much um, communication from their from their electorate <coughs> as they have on this issue. Yeah. Um, so perhaps that's possibly upping the quality of debate, knowing that there's so many people engaged. Yes, I certainly think that most um, politicians and. I use this, this is the wrong way to say it, but have plagiarised some of the the letters and communication that they've received from from their constituents. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the communication has been very personal, very heartfelt, on both sides, whether they're for or against, and, and very personally written. You still get the form letters. You still get, you know, 50, 50 emails saying the same thing. But and and you see, but in this debate, I think we saw less of that. We saw more people. Death affects us all. Mm, you know, the last time we got all this was probably during some of the abortion debate, and that doesn't affect everyone. Can we expect more late nights and long sitting durations for the upper house? I mean, tw was it 20, 26 hours on the Thursday into the Friday in the lower house? Yes. That's pretty painful, isn't it? Is that yes. conductive to the, the process? I think it's necessary for the process uh, once you start this once you start the process of reviewing the bill which which is what we call the committee process and that happens after everybody has their debate contribution yep. the review process of the bill begins I think once you start that review you shouldn't finish it you can't you just got to keep going uh, and we will do the same in the upper house I am fearful that the upper house uh, will not be as respectful as the lower house. I say this for two reasons. One, that we, um, that this is the last gasp, that this is the final. Um, so this is the end run for this bill. If it doesn't get up, we, I don't think we'll see another opportunity for a decade. And both sides know that. Our chamber is also a lot smaller and a lot more intimate. And that brings out a level of emotion that you probably don't see in a chamber of 88 people. We've got yeah. 40. Yeah, okay. So I think this does make a significant, will make a significant difference to the, to the debate. The other thing is we go through the committee process. We review most bills during this process. The Legislative Assembly doesn't. Uh, so it's quite uncommon for them to do it, which means their, their familiarity with that process uh, is is uh, not as um, not as good as ours. So we're used to doing this, and so everyone in our chamber, I believe, will take place take part of that committee process. And we've got Bernie Finn and Inga Powlett. <laughs> Always good. I, I've heard a couple of reports now that Bernie Finn spoke for six hours on the abortion bill. Is that, again, going back to that conductive thing, like, does that serve anybody's, even if you're opposed, surely yeah. six hours isn't great? Yeah. Fortunately, we've changed some of the standing orders, there so, are, Ber so Bernie will not be able to do that this time. Okay. No. What we've allowed, what we are allowing for in the, um, in the second reading debate is we're allowing for 
parties uh, that have got people in their party that are for and against, we're allowing for them to have two lead speakers instead of just the one. So you'll have one speaker speaking, lead speaker for and one lead speaker against. And then everyone else will have somewhere between 20 and 25 minutes to add their contribution. And then the committee process begins. So Bernie won't be able to speak for six hours in one shot in the, in the committee process. He will be able to make statements and ask questions. Those will be answered. He will be able to make statements, ask questions. That's right. Of going through all the yeah, and we'll we'll see that. And we've seen um, in my in my um, in the debate on my safe access zones bill uh, for abortion clinics, uh, Bernie took that through till four o'clock in the morning, with questions like, you know, what if a blimp was a hundred meters above the Victoria Wellington Parade, would they be breaking the law? You know, there will be a whole bunch of really dumb what ifs. Um, But I I suspect there will also be some some good questioning that will tease out uh, how the legislation will work in practice. Yeah, so regardless of how long debate goes for, what what are the main aspects of the bill do you think will be a focus this week? What I'm hearing is uh, certainly the time that we allow for people to access assist, access the system. The proximity to as in 12 pro- months? That's right, that's right. So people seem to be concerned that, that that is giving people too much time. I don't support that at all. You know, it, if we can give people with motor neuron disease 12 months peace of mind, I am so happy that we can do that. Um, there's, there's conversations about pushing that back to three months. Now that means that some people with motor neuron disease actually won't have any peace of mind and they won't even qualify for the pro- program. I think that will be one area that there will be a lot of focus on. There also seems to be some conversation um, around uh, people's doctors having more say towards the end and more say in that final approval process. And this is a really difficult thing because we're giving doctors absolution from this legislation. You know, they don't have to refer anyone. They can just say no and pull their hands back and and shut up. They do not have to provide any more assistance to their patient. So if we're offering them that, but then we're saying that they have to be involved in that process, I, we can't have both. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting to see that teased out. The types of medicine that are used that was raised in the lower house, I think that will be raised in the upper house as well. I don't, I don't think that that's a terribly strong argument and really we want doctors to be able to give patients the best medicine for their circumstances yeah. and that's how the bill is written. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of that isn't sort of... Uh plucked out of thin air, it was the process of the advisory panel that I think has strengthened that. That's right. Having that expert panel um, uh, consulting with with the medical profession, consulting with experts in end-of-life care uh, really did develop, I think, very, very good uh, evidence-based safeguards and and, 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 and I suppose safeguards, but also um, movement in, in some of the, the clauses of the legislation. Yeah, absolutely. 
Alrighty then, I will leave it there. I Thanks. You're exceptionally busy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> See you on the other side. <laughs> That was Upper House MP Fiona Patton. We thank her very much for her time. Be sure to check out reason.org.au for information about Fiona's efforts in Parliament, as well as news on the Northcote by-election, where Laura Chip is the Reason candidate. That's all for this episode. Debate begins on Thursday in the Upper House, so be sure to follow us on Twitter for updates at DWDVic. You can also watch a live stream of debate via the Victorian Parliament website. Of course, it's never too late to contact your Upper House MPs and uh, voice your support for voluntary assisted dying laws. We absolutely need to make sure that the MPs are aware of support in their community. Uh, exceptionally important. So we'll uh, add a link in below the uh, episode description for you to click through uh, to get a bit of inf information about how you can contact your MP. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.